You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, church, and welcome. I hope this message and this service finds you well. As you find ourselves and we find ourselves as a church, our community, our nation, and our world in this unique time, we want you to know that we love you, that we're praying for you. We rejoice that our church family is a great comfort and refuge for each of us during this time. As we link together and love each other, and display our great hope to the world. We are here for you. It's such an honor for us as a church staff, as a pastoral staff, and as our elders to shepherd you and to pray for you and to check in on you and to walk with you during this season. We love you. And we want you to know that if you need anything at all, even if it's just to talk or to pray, please don't hesitate to call us or to contact us. I know God is using this extended time in my life, this period to grow me in so many different ways. And I pray that it's the same for you. I pray that this time of isolation with more time at home is allowing for more time between you and Christ. I pray that you're lingering on and meditating upon God's word. I pray that you are in prayer lingering before God. I pray that you're memorizing passages right now as your pastor. I'm memorizing 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8a. I'm memorizing 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 through 26. And I'm memorizing 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 25. And I pray that you would join me in memorizing and applying God's word specifically in your lives. I hope that this is a time of journaling. I hope it's a time of reading books and a a time of giving focused effort towards God growing you in specific areas in your life. I pray it's a time that you would love and enjoy and invest in the great people around you that God has placed in your lives or in your homes. I pray and and I ask that God would use this great special time, although difficult, to do a wonderful work inside of your heart. What I'm seeing, and I bet you're noticing it too, is that although this time is unique and difficult, there is light even in this present darkness. There's not just light at the end of the tunnel, but light right now in the midst of our struggle. Oh, how clear it is that God is using this time of sickness and separation to bring about health, and unity. This is how God is working. God is working good, our good, good things for his great glory. And he's causing us all to look up right now and to look out towards others. Of course, in love, we don't dismiss the sorrow or the pain or the grief that is being experienced by many of those we know, even some of us and those around the world due to the severity and the extensivity of this virus. We should and do genuinely mourn with them as Romans 12, 15 tells us to do. It instructs us to mourn with those who mourn. We should contemplate this and pray for those who've experienced sorrow and loneliness, especially our healthcare professionals and the families who have lost loved ones, the nations that have experienced pain and grief and have no hope in the gospel, people who are presently sick. We should love them and genuinely serve them by praying for them as we experience this great difficult time. And yet, while it is difficult, 
we still should notice. God calls us to become aware even in the times of great despair and despondency and disease and even at the face of death to ponder great and noble and wonderful and godly and praiseworthy things that we would bring about the praise of God from the lips of people and the peace of God in the hearts of people. Paul tells us this in Philippians chapter four, verses four through eight. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think of about these things and what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So though this is a natural evil, which all sickness is as a result of the temptation of Satan and the fall of man recorded in Genesis chapter three, with the coronavirus being no exception, we are seeing how this sickness is bringing about death and destruction. But God is doing eternal work and present work for the world, for an all satisfying look at his great glory. And isn't that just like God to bring about our good and his glory out of grave evil? It reminds me of the story of Joseph in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis when his brothers sell him into slavery. And yet God uses this for Joseph to be part of his plan to save many. As Joseph's brothers repent to him, Joseph says back to them in Genesis chapter 50, verse 22, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God, he meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And I believe amidst this evil and sickness that takes earthly life, many will actually turn to find eternal life in Christ Jesus. I believe repentance of sin and belief in the gospel and pardon through forgiveness and imputed righteousness from Christ will all be catalyzed by the encountering of this pandemic. I'm reminded of what Romans 8, 28 says. It says, and we know for that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So specifically for the people of God, the ones who know and have trusted in Christ through repentance and belief in the gospel, God is using this for good, for the good of all believers to galvanize, to awaken to deepen and to send. God is using this for the Christ likeness of his people, for our evangelism, to awaken us to his mission, to invite us into his great story, to build up our love for him and for one another. God is using this time to draw us into great dependency upon him and his name. He's using it for our humility and our gentleness and our lowliness and our awareness of our finiteness. He's using this to bid us to come and worship in spirit and truth. He's using it for our rest and for family discipleship as we invest in those in our home. And he's using it to build up the body, the church, church and the global church for, for us to reach the world, to reach the nation for the reach and the spread of his church for the unreached nations and for the local and faithful pastors and shepherds of congregations here in the United States. He's using it to make us aware of who we are as finite, impacted by the effects of sin, by the threat of disease and death and even finding ourselves to be sinners. And he's using it to make us aware of who he is as powerful and compassionate and holy, different from us, the one that we need. So through the presence of evil, through the presence of disease and death, Jesus is showing us that he is different. God is the one who can deliver from every evil. And he is showing us our great need to be delivered from evil as we encounter this pandemic. There is no one who has the immunity to evil. No one who has the immunity to the powers that we face of sin and Satan and sickness and health and disease and eternity apart from God. And yet Jesus has all the power over evil. 
God is giving us a great testimony during this time. He's divine. He's God. We're not. And we need him. We are desperate for God. And I pray that he's showing you this during this time, that you would believe in him and that you would trust him. And by God's sovereignty, church, listen, this is what God is teaching us in our passage today. You see, this is wonderful. He led us to study Luke about a year ago. And in his providence, as we teach through books of the Bible, as clear evidence that he's with us, that he's leading us, that his hand is upon us, that he's guiding us, that we're hearing from him, that we're walking with him. He, he's led us to this point. We find ourselves in a section where the author's intent of the scriptures is of the same theme that we're experiencing right now. This section as we study Luke is showing us the reality of disease and death, of sin, of the curse, of the present uh, darkness that we face and ultimate uh, presence of hell if we do not repent of our sin. And yet that Jesus is the Messiah, that he has power over these evils and is capable of saving us from our sin. And even more specifically, as this started, as this pandemic started and we started teaching online like we're doing now, which is unique and different for us. He brought us into the very place in this section that points us to the reality of disease and death and how it causes desperation and how he is different and that we should trust in him because he has the power as the Messiah, as the son of God to deliver us from disease and death, but ultimately to deliver us from eternal death and find salvation in his name. This is incredible. Jesus is leading us to see his divinity, his messiahship, his Christ, um, him being the Christ, even in this time. And so as we look at this, he has been giving us testimony. Luke has been giving us testimony of Jesus's messiahship by demonstrating his power over all evil. So far, what we've seen is Jesus's power over the curse and death. We've seen his power over Satan and the evil spirits and forces, spiritual forces. And now in this third and fourth testimony in Luke chapter eight, as we move to the end of the chapter, he is showing us his great power through displaying it over disease and over and over death. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up with me to Luke chapter eight, verses 40 through 56. We're going to read these verses and we're going to see these last two testimonies. Remember, again, it started all the way back in verse 22. And Jesus displayed his power over the curse by displaying his power over nature, over the winds and the waves. And then he displayed his great power over Satan and all the demons by showing it over casting out the demons from the man. And now in this third and fourth testimony, once again, his power over disease and death, signifying that he's the son of God and he can save us on into eternity as we trust in him. Now, Luke, the writer is giving us this testimony of Jesus Christ as the son of God, because that's the purpose in the gospel. Listen, this is the purpose in all of the gospels and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's why they exist. That's why these books exist. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired them, And that's why the authors wrote them. They are four big testimonies full of numerous individual and overlapping testimonies that are witnessing and giving us the fulfillments of and showing us the displays of and demonstrating to us the records of Jesus being the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, that we would believe in him and find in him eternal life. So these testimonies were recorded so that the readers would believe in Jesus. That's what we're doing here. We're looking and seeing, man, this Jesus, he is the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the savior. And when we believe and repent of our sins, that we would be saved. I love how John tells us this main purpose. Simply, very simply in John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's the whole purpose, that we would believe Jesus. Yeah, you're the anointed one, the son of God. And that by believing, you may have eternal life in his name. This is the purpose. This is the point. So the gospels, and here in this section, 
Luke is showing us they are divinely inspired, non-fictional narratives that are giving us testimony of Jesus being God. And that's exactly what chapter eight is doing. In this testimony, Jesus's display over power and evil shows us that he is the Messiah. And I pray that as we look at this, that you see his great power over disease and death and trust in him for far more than that, but for your soul for all of eternity. You see, Jesus has to be a lot of things to prove to us that he's the Messiah. He must fulfill all the scriptures of of God in the Old Testament. He's going to, for instance, have to resurrect. He's also going to have to come from a family line, a certain family line. He's going to have to come during a certain time period. He's going to have to be pierced and forsaken, yet vindicated. These are all prophecies about what the Messiah must be. He will have to be rejected. He'll have to suffer. He'll have to be a prophet like Moses. He'll have to fulfill all the laws and the ceremonies. He'll have to be called out of Egypt. He'll have to ride on a donkey. He'll have to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He'll have to be born in Bethlehem. He'll have to be the Passover lamb. He'll have to be preceded by a messenger. He'll have to be called a Nazarene. And we could go on for a while, but most foundationally, he must be God and he must have all power over evil if he's going to save a people for his namesake. Therefore, Him having the divine power over death and hell is essential. And in order to prove that Christ is the one who can save us, that Jesus is he, the son of God, that he can take away our iniquities and bring us to peace with God, as Isaiah 53 tells us he'll do. He must display this and give us this testimony. If he's going to resurrect our hearts, remove our heart of stone, our total depravity, and give us hearts of flesh and to receive us through the gospel as the soil of our hearts are ready to receive this seed. He must display that he is indeed God and has the power to do this great work and deliver us from evil. If he's going to prove that Christ, that he, Jesus Christ, if he's going to prove that he will defeat sin and Satan permanently and usher in a new heaven, Um, At the end, as we see in Revelation 21, he's going to usher in a new heaven upon the earth and bring us into a place where man will have eternal communion and dwelling with God. If he's going to do this great work, then he must show that he is indeed the Messiah, that he has power over evil to do this. And so this should cause us, as we see this great testimony, to trust in him. It should cause a great desperation. We see the curse. We see our subjection to it. We see Satan and his demons in our subjection to it. We see disease and death in our subjection to it. And we see the ultimate enemy, the ultimate foe of eternal death. And that we are subject to all of these consequences because of the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. We should be desperate. And in that desperation, turn to the only one who has power to deliver us. For victory over evil, victory over the curse, victory over Satan, victory over disease and death. He is exactly who he needs to be and exactly who he says he is and exactly who we need him to be, the son of God. So let's pray. Let's pray as God shows us this great next testimony of Jesus's power over evil through the display over sin and the effects of sin, namely disease and death, and that we would trust in him as the only one to deliver us. And what a fitting time it is for us to look to Jesus in light of the reality of disease and death as we even experience it tangibly around us. Let's pray. And then we'll continue to read and see the testimony of his Messiah the display of his power of disease and death and how perfect this is for us to point to a time when we can trust in him. So let's pray and then we'll read. Father, we come before you this morning. We ask that you would show us this great picture of Jesus as the son of God. Jesus, I pray that we would turn to you and trust in you and believe in your name because of this testimony. As you heal Something only you can do. You do what no physician, no doctor could do. You do what only you can do. And it's not just over an acute disease, but it's over all of evil. That we would trust in you for salvation. God, I pray as we're moved into this reality of disease and death and desperation would come from that reality. That we would trust in you and be saved. Not only be saved for 
right now from pain and suffering, but be saved for all of eternity. Jesus, we need you to display your great power, that we would be amazed and that we would trust in your greatness. Please show us as we read today. And God, I pray that we would be convinced of your power. I pray that we would be convinced of your great compassion as you have not only displayed your power in this passage, but your, past, your compassion to utilize your power for the sake of your people, your power to save. God, we believe in the gospel, Romans 1.16, that you have the power for salvation to everyone who believes. And you have the great compassion for us who are like sheep without a shepherd, who have gone astray. And God, as you call us into your great family and you heal us of, of our ultimate sickness of sin and our ultimate plight of eternity apart from you, I pray, God, that you would get great glory. God, convince us of your great power today that we might believe and that we might trust in you even in these times that we face. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read, church, Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Those are the verses that are covering this last section, testimonies 3 and 4, disease and death. And today we're going to cover verses 44 through 48. Last week we covered 40 through 43. Today, 44 through 48. But let's read all of it before we jump into our verses. Now, verse 40. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. For they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me for I perceive power has gone out for me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. What an incredible passage. As we see this, read along with me and study along with me as we dive into verses 44 through 48 today. But we see before we do, the reality of disease and death touches all of us. It touches us all. In this unprecedented time of a global virus, this is reality for us. We're experiencing this. Listen, that we all will die. We all face the threat of disease. We all will get sick. We are all prone to death. We will die. None of us can escape its imminence. And none of us can escape its inevitability. This reality causes us to care about what matters, eternity, and to look to the one who has the power to deliver us. You see, Psalm 90, verse 12 says, teach us to number our days. Tell us, God, let us embrace and let us become desperate because we know our days are numbered. Our days are numbered and we embrace this, that we might gain a heart of wisdom and look to God and trust in him, depend on him for all of eternity. 
Last week, we saw in part one of this section of Luke that this reality of disease and death, it causes desperation. The desperation caused by disease and death. That was our first point last week as we entered this section. And this desperation came from a man whose daughter was dying, from a woman who was hemorrhaging blood for 12 years. We saw these two characters. They're facing the reality of disease and death. And both of them have become greatly desperate for Jesus, for the Messiah, for the Christ. In their desperation, they couldn't just look anywhere. They couldn't just look to anything they wanted for the possibility of salvation from these evils. They could only look to the one that they believed had the power over these evils. To the one who had displayed this divine power over these evils numerous times on other occasions. Jesus, the Christ, the one with all of the power. If you remember, listen, this is what happened in verses 40 through 43 so far. Jesus returns from the garrison people, the garrison region. And as he does, the crowds are waiting for him. Tens of thousands of people. And many of them were faced with disease. And many of them were dealing with hardship and trial. And many of them were desiring healing from Jesus. And one of those men, his name was Jairus. One of those people, he's a man named Jairus. And he was a prominent religious figure. He was associated with the Pharisees and the scribes. And in great humility, in great humility, he prostrates himself before Jesus. Undoubtedly, this humility was produced by the reality of disease and death. No question. Because this is what we see causes him to fall at the feet of Jesus. And he begins begging Jesus to come with him to his home because his only child, his 12-year-old daughter, was dying. We see the reality of disease and death and how it causes desperation and causes him to go to the only one who has the power over disease and death, which is Jesus the Christ. Jesus, in his great compassion then, his power displayed in compassion, goes with Jairus. And while he's on his way, if this is not enough, we see this woman come pressing in with the crowd. There's a crowd around Jesus as he's making his way to Jairus' house, and it's crushing around him. It's it's pressing in and there's tens of thousands of people and within these crowds, somehow finding a way to get near to Jesus in desperation and disease. This woman comes and she's had discharge of blood for 12 years. This disease that she was facing was incurable. She had no more money because she had spent it on physicians. The doctors they actually made it all worse. She was a social outcast because of her sickness. And she was considered ceremoniously unclean by the Jews and religious leaders, unable to worship. Not allowed to worship in the temple, prevented from contact with others, even from her family. Due to the Jewish law recorded in Leviticus 15, this woman's life was over due to her disease. These two characters, both desperate, because of the reality of disease and death. From opposite ends of the spectrum, from different social classes, different religious classes, different economic classes, two characters with different pasts. You see, the man for the past 12 years has been in jubilation. This man is raising his daughter to the Jewish age of womanhood and marriage. That's what his past 12 years have been like. Then boom, disease hits. And death is at her door. And this woman, she's had the opposite for the past 12 years. Because for the past 12 years, she's been in deep, dark depression, loneliness, hopelessness, because she is a woman who doesn't have a future. Because this woman has been dying of a disease for the past 12 years. It's become worse. She's poor and it's incurable. One man, one woman both powerless to and aware of the reality of disease and death. They're desperate. And now in this story, they're looking to the only one who has power over both disease and death. Jesus, the Christ, 
the Messiah, the anointed one, God himself, God in flesh here on earth, displaying that he is the fulfillment of all the prophecies about the Messiah so that he can save them, not just presently, but for all of eternity. And so too, listen, church, we should see this and become desperate in light of the reality of sin and death. Let's not push it away or shrug it off or become naive to it. Ignorance is not bliss in this case. And allow it to cause us instead to trust in the one who can deliver us for both now and all of eternity. You see, in the final portion of this section, after now we've seen the great desperation displayed by the reality of disease and death, now we get to see the display of Jesus's great power. Jesus's great power, his divine power over disease and death. This is what these next five verses will show us, verses 44 through 48. So stay with me. Let's walk through the text verse by verse. Just see what it says as it exposes to us Jesus's great power. And I think what we'll find here is displayed in this woman's disease and her desperation, this man's uh, daughter facing death and his desperation. And we'll focus as we look at this upon Jesus's great divinity that he has power over all things. And what today we'll do as we focus on these four verses, we're only gonna see the woman's story. Next week, we'll see the man's story. So this helps us to divide the two. In this last section, we're gonna see both. But we're gonna take just today to look at her story, the woman's disease, focus on Jesus's healing and power of just her. And then next week, his power over defeating death in the life of Jairus' daughter. So let's focus just on this situation. You ready? Verse 44, let's watch this unfold. Let's read, what does it say? In verse 44, it says that she came up behind him, this lady, as she pressed in to touch him and the fringe, and she touched the fringe of his garment and immediately the discharge of blood ceased. She, the lady, came up behind him. Behind who? Behind Jesus. And she touched the fringe of his garment, his garment that he was wearing, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Now, this is incredible because we have to point out a few details. Listen, first, in the embarrassment and in the faith at the same time, embarrassment and faith, shame and hope, this woman aims to touch Jesus. We're not told here in Luke why she came up from behind him, but we are told in Mark as he gives the same account. She came to touch him and Mark gives us great insight as to why. What's, this is what he writes in, five, in, in chapter 5, verses 27 through 28, that she heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For, here's the reason, here's the grounds, here's, a, here's why she came to touch his garment. Because she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. This is abandoning for her all regulations all limitations, all other sources of hope and all oppositions or opinions and putting all of her trust in Jesus and his great power as the Messiah. She's coming up from behind. She came up from behind him after being banged around by the crowd to get to Jesus, to avoid even being noticed, to remain hidden. And we know that this is why she came up behind to remain hidden because of her faith and what Jesus could do. Because in verse 47, it tells us that when she realized that she was not hidden, then she came forward and she gave testimony and witness. Her purpose was to remain hidden. She was full of shame. This is incredible because what we're seeing here is Jesus doing something that no doctor could do, that no amount of money could do, that no amount of effort could do. This woman has been trying for 12 years. She's desperate at the reality of disease and death. She has tried every route. She has paid a lot of people. She has tried every remedy. She has been outcasted. She has been pushed out from worship. There is no cure. Her life and her future and her hope are without any foundation. And in an instant, immediately, this woman is cured because of the great divine power of Jesus over disease and death. This woman is showing us, is giving testimony. Luke is giving testimony. And Jesus is giving great testimony of his power to heal. 
This is a picture of humility. As we see this lady come up, she realizes that she has no power over her disease. She's been humbled by being an outcast. She's desperate. She's full of shame. She fears the crowds. She knows her reputation. And she knows the limitations that she has in coming into contact with anybody. And in verse 44, it says that she comes and she touches the garment of Jesus. Incredible, because this woman should not be touching anything or anybody. She came up from behind him in humility to remain hidden. And then she touched something which she was not supposed to do. And what did she touch? Well, she touched the fringe of his garment. Now, you see, in the Old Testament, this is what was commanded of the Jews, that the robes that they would wear would have woven blue cords attached to them. This would identify them as Jews. And at the four corners of the robes, there would be tassels. And these tassels were made of that same cord. And we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 12, for instance, it says, you shall make yourself tassels on the four corners of the garment with which you cover yourself. This is what the Jewish people would wear. And in Numbers 15, it shows us the same picture. So this type of robe that Jesus would be wearing would have tassels on all of the corners. And the Pharisees, you see, they would take this command and they would um, exercise it uh, further in order to, to show and display their own greatness and holiness. What they would do is they would elongate these tassels, make them really long and thick and, and girthy in order to be noticed by men and to seem more holy. See, Matthew gives us this testimony. It says that the, the Pharisees, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, and they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. This is what they would do. They would make the fringes long, and they would make the cords thick and wide. And Jesus here is simply obeying what the scriptures say to do, and he's even displaying a great humility and perfect obedience and being a man who's wearing this cloak with the tassels attached and the cord. And this woman reaches for those very tassels, those fringes. This faithful Jewish man who is also the son of God is walking through the crowd. And this woman, upon seeing his robe and seeing his face, reaches out to touch the tassels. Now in verse 44, when we see that this woman came behind and touched the fringe of his garment or the tassels of his garment, which in the Greek, this literally means that she clung on to. She fastened herself to. She clutched. This is not a swiping to try to just touch. She's fastening to. She's holding on as long as she can. This is her only hope. Until this robe starts to pull away and Jesus begins to notice. Due to her proximity of him in her hiddenness, she clings on tight hopeful that the power of the Messiah will heal her as the only power over disease and death. She's desperate. She needs his power. He's different. He's the only one. He's not like anybody else. His power is over all evil. And this is what she's desperate for. And as Jesus moves through the crowd and she clutches on, we're seeing that Jesus is her only hope. She goes against all boundaries. She clings. In John 20, 17, the same Greek word is used when Mary Magdalene clings to Jesus after the resurrection. In John 20, 17, it says, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to the father and your father, to my God and to your God. This clinging by a desperate woman in the midst of a crowd who's dying from a disease. This later, this lady in Luke's account was doing this because she was saying to herself, this is what Matthew tells us. She clung on because she was saying to herself something. And this is in the progressive sense here. What we see is that this is showing us that she just keeps on repeating the same thing over and over and over to herself. What is she saying? Why is she clinging? Because Matthew 9, 21 tells us she kept saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. That's what she believed. 
That's what she was saying. And that's why she clung. She knew that Jesus was God. She believed in the power that only he possessed. This imperfect verb points us to the fact that she just kept repeating this over and over and over to herself. She just needed to get near him. He was full of divine power and she needed to be cured from the effects of evil, including disease and death. If she could just get into Jesus's vicinity, if she would just be noticed by him, if he would just feel her plea, Because Jesus, what he was doing during this time is he was healing everybody. Now, this may seem strange, but his power was gushing out of him all of the time onto all the people and everyone was being healed. This power was obvious to everyone in the region. It was being poured out to people everywhere. There was nothing like it. This had not been seen or heard. No one's ever noticed anything like this. This is unlike anybody that they ever seen. This is different. This is God. This is the only one with power and disease over death. And it would be gushed out upon everyone. Literally no exaggeration upon her if she could just touch him. Jesus in divine compassion was healing people because he loved them. He cared and he wanted them to see the great power that he had so that they would believe in who he is and be saved. This divine power combined with his divine compassion over disease and over death. That's a powerful combination. Power over disease and death and compassion for people at the same time. What an incredible combination here. And verse 44 says that when she did so, when she did touch him, immediately the discharge of blood ceased. Just like the winds and the waves, just like the legions of demons, so too this disease obeyed the Son of God, obedient to the divine power of Jesus Christ. Jesus in his compassion saves this woman from her disease, her faith in him, leading her to touch his garment and Jesus's divine power, not only over this, but we are seeing his divine power over every evil. This woman will be saved, let alone be cured from her disease. Jesus has allowed, make no mistake, although sorrowful, Jesus has allowed this desperation. He has allowed this sickness in her life. And he has allowed our experience of the coronavirus and the sickness that surrounds us. Nothing escapes the mind of God and nothing happens without his permission. You see, Jesus is not subject to the coronavirus. He has allowed this disease, just like he's allowed it in this woman's life, this sickness, this virus for us, this disease for her for one particular moment for this woman, for the display of his great power and compassion. And Jesus has allowed it in our lives in order to display his great power and compassion, that people would believe and receive eternal life. Foundationally, his identity is displayed here. He's allowed this woman to be sick for 12 years for this one moment so that everybody around him would see it. Everybody around her would see it that she would live the rest of her life giving testimony to the divine power and display of Jesus's ability to cure every evil in her life. And Jesus is allowing this and has allowed her sickness for the past 12 years so that we would read this today and be convinced of who he is as the son of God. Even though sin and sickness are the result of the fall, Jesus allows it to do ultimate good to cause people to turn to him, to trust in him, the only one with divine power over all all evil, that we would find life in his name. It is a great mercy to be made desperate for God. It's a great mercy. Even in light of disease and death, it is a great mercy to be made desperate for God because in that sorrow, we are led to everlasting joy through Christ so that Jesus has great work to do in showing this testimony. Namely, after he saves her, he is going to display his power in saving others. This is witness after witness of his divine power. So she reaches out. She clings on, verse 44. She touches and she's immediately healed. Verse 45, follow this with me. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Now this is incredible because Jesus is healing so many and he just instantly healed the woman who has been 
disease-stricken for 12 years by her touching him. We see that Jesus is showing compassion, that she touches the fringes of this garment. She's immediately healed. And in this moment, Jesus notices something. As we're going to see in the next verse, he notices power goes out, which inspires him to ask this question. Now, this is incredible. Jesus is, again, healing so many. And yet he actually feels when the power goes out from him. Isn't that incredible? This is on an individual basis. One person, one individual. When his care, when his compassion, and when his power comes out, he knows it. Now, this wasn't on accident. Jesus knows who this is going to. And when Jesus asks this question, who touched me? He's not unaware of who touched him. He's not unaware, but he's doing great things here by showing us, by showing the crowd and by causing this woman to come forth. See, Jesus doesn't wish to move on from this testimony so quickly. She's healed, but he's got more to do. He's in no rush. He's not concerned with anything else. He's got to get to Jairus' house. But... He's concerned with people knowing the truth and believing and being saved. He cares for this woman. And just like he redeemed the whole man of the demon-possessed man, he's got more work to do in this woman's life. He's going to redeem all of her life. He's still got work to do. This power that that was curing this incurable sickness, he now aims to display it to everybody that they would believe and redeem this whole life of this whole woman. And so we see this compassion, this power, it has come out of him. And he noticed, this is personal. He notices even when he does great things in your life. Jesus is not far removed from your life. It is not some uh, divine hand that has no heart. When he moves, and even now his great power moves in your life on a daily basis, he notices. When his great power moves and he's filled with compassion to do a divine work in your life, he notices. And when he doesn't rush, but aims to bring you forth to cause redemption throughout your whole life and on into your eternity, he notices and he cares. He's not in a rush to do something next. He's with you. This is personable. This is a personal God. And he's got still work to do with this lady. Such compassion, such power. So in addition to healing her and helping her physically, he's going to heal her socially. He's going to heal her in front of this crowd and he's going to heal her spiritually, making sure everybody here knows that she has been healed and doing what only he can do, saving her soul. He's the one who can do this and he's going to do it publicly. So he says to this woman in verse 45 or says to uh, out loud in verse 45, who was it that touched me? He's not unaware. He knows. He knows the sands on this, on the shores. He knows the hairs on the head. He's not only omnipotent that this passage is showing us, but he's also omniscient. He isn't really wondering who touched him. He knows very well, but this is for our display and for her redemption. So he says literally who clung to me and Peter, I love Peter. Verse 45, he says, this is Peter's uh, agenda, right? Speak now, think later, okay? And so Peter says, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you, which is another way of saying, what do you mean who touched you? You want to like, you want me to take names or create a perimeter? You got tens of thousands of people around you. But of course, Jesus wasn't unaware, right? The crowd is around him and she touched him. This is for the readers, and this is to bring her forth. Mark actually tells us that the other disciples were saying the same thing as Peter when Jesus asked this question. Like, you want to ask us who touched you? But it says that Jesus immediately turned around, and he even began to look around. He even began to look around, and I would have said, like, you don't know, Jesus, who touched you. Verse 45 shows us, Jesus asked this question, who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Verse 46. But Jesus says, someone touched me, for I perceive power has gone out from me. 
This is what Jesus says in response. He says in response, it says, Luke tells us, but Jesus said, even though Peter and the disciples told him, hey, look, there's a lot of people who've touched you. But Jesus said, in pointing out the specific particular instance with this woman, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. There it is. This is the main point of the passage. Jesus's power over disease and death, just like the power of the curse and over demons. We know this well because Jesus says in this instant, Power has gone out for me because I know someone has touched me. Which, listen, this is purposeful because Jesus could have said anything at this moment. He could have said, mercy has gone out of me. Compassion has gone out of me. Grace has gone out of me. Healing has come out of me. But he is showing, which is congruent in line with what we've seen so far in this section of the passage, that he is showing and displaying his power as a divine testimony to his divinity. This is a great picture of his power. This is what Jesus aims to display to us to prove that he is the Christ. Luke 6, 19. This shows us a picture of Jesus's power kind of gushing out on all people. It says, all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. This is what was healing them. It was just coming out, healing everybody. And he knew this was no mystery. His power was on full display for one particular woman who he's calling now to reveal himself. And she comes forward. She doesn't need to hide anymore. He knows that his power has gone out. He knows who she is and he's calling her forward. Such compassion to make this cure widely known. So the acquaintances, the religious leaders and us would see it. She would be integrated back into society and we would believe due to the testimony of his divine power. Jesus feels this power flow to this lady. This Messiah This Christ, this anointed one, has proven that he is unlike anybody else. He has the power over disease and death. This is what flows out from him. This is why the diseased woman was healed. And he does so in a compassionate way. He is the only one who is immune. He is immune to all evil. Satan can't touch him. Sin can't touch him. Disease and death can't touch him. Hell can't touch him. And therefore, he has the power to save us. This is what Jesus wants us to see because he says his power has left him in verse 46. But Jesus said, someone touch me. Here's how I know. For here are the, here's the grounds. I perceive, I know, I've noticed that power has gone out for me. That's the picture Jesus wants us to see, his great power as the testimony to his divinity. Verse 47, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. So now the intention happens. She comes out of hiding. She's not hidden anymore. Woman, the woman saw that she was not hidden as she tried to remain hidden by coming up behind Jesus. She comes instead trembling, it says, because she was afraid she had broken boundaries. She was unclean, but because she was a human being in the presence of Holy God, no one else has power like this over disease. Every physician not only could not cure her, but made it worse. And this power has gone out and instantly healed her. She falls in humility, declaring she is falling down in worship, in reverence, in belief, in seeing that Jesus is different. She falls down in humility before him, but she doesn't keep silent. She declares in the presence of all of the people who are watching that she has just been healed. She has been redeemed just like the demon possessed man gives witness and testimony after he's healed. So too, this woman gives testimony. She has been immediately healed. The testimony of his divine power over disease and death. Listen, it wasn't the tassels that she wanted to touch. It was Jesus. He's the source of power. And she told every why she had touched him. Why she touched him? Because she believed 
that he had the divine power to heal disease and death. That's why she touched him. Because Jesus has this divine power. Now the whole crowd is hearing this. And we're hearing this. And they're all seeing and believing and we are as well. And how she had been immediately healed. She gives testimony to the fact that Jesus' divine power is real. Especially over her disease. Verse 48. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus says to her some interesting things here after she call, she's called forth. It's displayed that she's been cured. She's restored socially. Jesus is going to restore her uh, spiritually by saving her soul. She, he's cured her by restore, and restoring her physically. And in the midst of this holistic redemption that has taken place because of Jesus' great power over all of evil, Jesus says to her something specific. He calls her daughter. Now, this is so interesting because this is the only time that Jesus calls a woman this. Almost to say, through your faith, I have not only delivered you from disease, but I have delivered you from the true sickness of sin and from the ultimate foe of death. He calls her daughter due to her faith, due to who he is, due to his great power, almost to say, through your faith and through my divine power over all evil to deliver you, I'm calling you, I've called you into my family. You now are a child of God in the kingdom of God. Jesus is healing her of her ultimate disease of sin and the ultimate enemy of eternal death. Not only have I displayed, Jesus is saying, my great power to cure your disease that has been incurable for 12 years, but I've displayed my great power to save you from sin and from hell. And leaving her, Jesus gives her some parting words. He says to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And as we see this picture, this sweet goodbye from Jesus, as we see Jesus leave her with these great words, we see that she has been given peace, peace of being restored, peace in her community, peace with the religious leaders, peace physically, peace socially, but more than anything else, peace with God. As we see here, he says her faith. Now, it's not about her faith. It's about who she has faith in. And as we see this, she got it right. She believed in Jesus' divine power. That was the point. He's the son of God. He's unique. He's different. And he says, literally, your faith has not only made you well. Literally, he's saying, your faith has saved you. This woman is saved. She has been cured physically. She has been redeemed socially, religiously, and ultimately she has been redeemed for all of eternity. Matthew says, Jesus says, be of good comfort. You can be comforted because my power has made you well. And church, as we close, what an incredible picture. Jesus' divine power, and this power is not just some objective reality that's outside of anything we experience. At the end here, how fitting that his power has in fact brought comfort. His, his power has in fact brought peace. His power here has in fact brought about healing. His power here has been actually full of compassion. What a perfect picture for us during a time of the reality of disease and death. I pray that you would look to Jesus' great power. And that in that power, in seeing him as the divine son of God who has power to save you, that you would be comforted. That you too would find comfort from his power. That you would find peace in his power to deliver you into the presence of God for all of eternity in right standing as he forgives you for, his sin, for your sins. I pray that in the experience of his power, that you would not only find comfort, not only find peace, not only find healing, but in this that you would find his great compassion. He 
gives his power freely in compassion to save his people because he loves you. Be comforted by the great power of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who can heal us from every disease and our ultimate foe of death. Church, right now, as we experience this pandemic and as we ride this thing out as long as we need to, the one thing that will truly bring us comfort is dependency upon the power of Jesus Christ. Father, we come before you with this great picture of Jesus's display of divine power. I pray, God, that as we become desperate in light of the reality of disease and death, that we would be comforted by your power, Jesus. That you would show us your great compassion in bringing your power to your people to save us. That we would have peace in our hearts and knowing that we have peace before you because of your power over evil. That we would see and feel and experience your great comfort because your power is behind us and for us and heals us and will bring us to you in everlasting life. And that we would see that your great power is personable. It's for us and we experience it and you see us as individuals who are in desperate need of your power. God, this power that we see, Jesus, this power that we see that you possess as the divine son of God should bring us such great comfort that you would not only deliver us now that we can depend on you, but deliver us into your hands for all of eternity. Help us, God, to find comfort and compassion and peace as we depend now on the power that only you possess as the son of God. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.